Welcome to Southwoods Christian Church. We're glad you chose to be here today. Um, I say this a lot, but there's a lot of things vying for our time, isn't there, during the week and on a Sunday morning. So the fact that you've made the choice to be here is honoring to God and it's honoring to you and your commitment to walk with him. So good job. If you are tuning in live stream, we welcome you in as well. And just thank you for spending your time with us this morning. Uh, just a few things I want to let you know about before we dive into our worship this morning. And you know, a lot of times we say worship, 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 and people think that it's just music or just kind of a time filler. And that's not at all what we mean when we say we're diving into worship. What we're wanting to lead you into is a time of a bunch of different facets of a Sunday morning, which is time to connect with the heart of God, a lot of times through music, to pray with you and connect to God that way, to receive his word every Sunday, to give all of these acts of worship, communion. So the entire morning really is focused about bringing you in to the worship of the one true God who deserves it. So that is our, our prayer this morning for you. It's every single Sunday that we are here. Um, and another little fun side note is on Sunday mornings, our team, we're praying for you. We're praying for you before you even get here. We're praying that God has a message for you every time you walk through those doors. So again, thank you for being here. We're excited to see what God does today. Cody Shepherd is preaching for us later today. He's got an incredible message for you. So that's exciting. And again, just a few quick things. Um, hey, good game yesterday, right? Yeah, that was kind of fun. My heart was a little jumpy, but it was good. It was good. Okay, who are you rooting for today? Bengals or Bills? Oh, it's like vinegar coming out of our mouth, isn't it, a little bit? Yeah, yeah, it'd be a good game today. Um, welcome back, Hero Makers. Raise your hand. Were you on the trip? I know there's a lot of you here. Take a peek around. Great work, guys. We're glad you're back. Glad you're back safe. And uh, we have a couple of guys. Um, uh, one of our guys is still down there. Is going to continue doing some mission work down there. So that's incredibly exciting that that call was placed on his heart to be down there. So continue in prayer over that. And uh, the Connect card is what I'm holding. It's in the seat in front of you or next to you. And again, this is just a way for you to connect with us. If you're new today, feel free to um, fill it out on the back and drop it in the back along the information bar. And then this QR code is um, a QR code that just takes you straight to our website so that you can stay in the know and really uh, be able to plug in to a bunch of things. All of this information is also along the back in the information bar. Um, Wednesday, the 25th at 7 o'clock is our first midweek for this winter season. So be right here at 7 o'clock for an evening of prayer and worship. All right, grab some people to come with you and just kind of reignite um, and refresh yourself uh, midweek. And then we have a new reading plan that's happening. This is going to be the Proverbs reading plan. It's going to start on the 26th. This slide and a different QR code is also at the website that you can scan and get yourself logged into that um, for the Bible reading plan. So this will be our third one, and we encourage you to be part of that. If you haven't grabbed communion, go ahead in the back and go grab a cup of communion um, for our time um, later in the service. And I would love to pray for us, and then we're going to catch a video, and again, we're going to dive into worship. Father God, thank you for an incredible opportunity that we take for granted every Sunday. I know I am I do on a regular basis, and I hate that, but that we get to come here and we get to worship you alongside fellow believers and people who want a life on mission for you. Thank you for that opportunity that so many don't have the freedom to do. I pray for this church this morning. I pray that your presence is evident and that your word is boldly spoken here today and that we really understand that when we come to you in worship through music and prayer and teaching and communion and giving, that that's how we respond to you, our awesome, incredible, grace-filled God. 
thank you for the many blessings you've given us. And we worship you this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray.
heart pumping, joy going in your heart. I don't know what it's going to, but the Holy Spirit can. I know that. So
Well, again, if you missed it earlier, I uh, encourage you to go back and grab communion uh, for later, actually right after this next song, for us to take together um, as the church and remembrance of Christ. But um, the other thing I want to just make sure I take the time to do is if you're uh, new here or you don't know, or we always hit it every week, the different ways you can give um, to God, um, and he blesses that in so many ways. You see that on the screen, and also there's ways to give in the back as well um, here in person. So let's continue to worship this morning. Amen. Came and gave his 
Before we head uh, into communion, uh, you can have a seat. And I just want you to think about this time. Before we dive in, I want to read a a little passage talking about the grace of God. Because we were singing about his strength as well and how when we fight our battles, we fight on our knees. I just think of God's strength. So I just want to read this to you from 2 Corinthians uh, this is Paul talking, and he's talking about this thorn, actually, on his side, uh, or not literally, but the different persecution and trials we face in life. And he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Um, as he was um, given this thorn in his flesh, uh, a messenger of Satan, actually, to torment him. And I think that is prevalent in our lives in many different ways at times. But he says, I pleaded three times. Uh, with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you. I'm just, just going to say that again. I want you to dwell on those words as we head into communion. Jesus, the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. It's red letters. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul goes on and says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties for when I am weak then I am strong because of the Lord's strength his grace is sufficient for you no matter what you are coming with here this morning what baggage you may be bringing what hardships you may be facing I just want you to be assured that the Lord's grace is sufficient for you go ahead and take communion
Good morning. How are you all doing this morning? Nice snowfall, right? Everybody love that? Some of you maybe, some of you maybe not. Um, I'd like to start this morning by, what was that? Oh, sorry. I'd like to start this morning by reading a chapter from the book Jesus Freaks that is co-written by DC Talk, if you remember them from back in the day. Bonus points if you come up later and tell me what DC stands for in that, by the way. Along with Voice of the Martyrs. Here's a, a short chapter in, in, the, in that book. It says, as the Communist Party's five-year plan to change Christianity to fit the Chinese regime got underway, independent or house churches in China knew they had to speak out. So it was on September 1st, 2018, the early Rain Covenant Church published a declaration for the sake of the Christian faith. It concluded, for the sake of the gospel, we are prepared to bear all losses, even the loss of our freedom and our lives. On December 9th, police raids shut down the early Rain school, seminary, and all other operations. Over the next three days, over 100 church members were arrested, including Pastor Wang Yi. A few days later, the pastor's Declaration of Faithful Disobedience was published, which he, he, asked, he had asked to be distributed if he were detained by authorities for more than 48 hours. I firmly believe, he said, I firmly believe that Christ has called me to carry out this faithful disobedience through a life of service under this, re this regime that opposes the gospel and persecutes the church. His declaration read, the goal of disobedience is not to change the world, but to testify about another world. Pastor Wang Yi was given a nine-year sentence on December 30th, 2019, for his boldness and leadership of early reign, the longest sentence given to a house church pastor in more than a decade. The title of my message this morning is Faith Under Fire. When we read stories like this one that I just tell, told or read to you, it probably does some different things with inside of us. Maybe, maybe it breaks our hearts, and we pray, we're praying for him, which we should be doing. Maybe it creates some confusion. But I pray that each of us, it, it calls something out of us. I pray that it calls something out of us. And, and this morning, as we, as we dig into this, I pray that maybe you open up yourself into an honest and soul-searching conversation with God about your own lives and your own faith. My question today for you is how do we, how can we be like Pastor Yi and stand strong under fire? We're going to be looking at the book of Daniel chapter 3 today. You're more than welcome to open it up. I always love it when we use our own Bibles and kind of make notes in there, but it'll also be on the screen as well. And we're going to be looking at Daniel chapter 3 at three young Jewish men named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is who we know them by. And the book of Daniel actually starts out in, not in Israel, but in Babylon. Babylon is referenced throughout the Bible as the great seducer. And for good reason, Babylon was one of the first great early world powers However, Babylon's method when they, of captivity was kind of unique. All other kingdoms before would usually come in and destroy, or they would enslave those who they had conquered. Many after Babylon would, a lot of times, would predominantly uh, let their captors stay in the land with some strong oversight and regulations, provided, of course, that they, they didn't create insurrection and that they gave plenty of money back to, their, to the capital. 
And we see in the, the first chapter of Daniel that Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon had a little bit different strategy. What they chose to do was to capture all the best and the brightest minds, the, the strongest and most capable workers, and, and send them basically to become a Babylonian. The, pan, the plan was to proselytize or indoctrinate them into becoming a Babylonian. Babylon was basically this first culture or civilization to try to indoctrinate other cultures. And how did they do this? We, we see here in Daniel chapter 1, here's kind of what they do, is that they first put all of them through three years of training. Training, they started off especially with teaching them to learn, to read, and study the Babylonian language and their literature. You see, Nebuchadnezzar knew that if you can control the information coming in, then you can control the mind. But Nebuchadnezzar also gives them the best food and the best drinks, drinking his wine and drinking his food. You see, Nebuchadnezzar also knows that you can, if you can make people desire your comforts, then they become content. And much of your threat to the system goes away when you become content. Also, Nebuchadnezzar gives each of them new titles and new jobs. And in the case of Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they are all given prestigious positions in Babylon. See, Nebuchadnezzar knows that if you give people power, then many times they will prostitute out their hearts to keep that power and to attain new levels of power. People will become selfish and turn their ears and their eyes away from the voice of God. And lastly, each of them is given a new Babylonian name. By the time we pick up this story here in chapter 3, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah are now known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You see, if you change a person's name, then you can possibly change their identity. You make them into a new person. The old has kind of gone away. They're this new person. And Nebuchadnezzar didn't want them to be Jews anymore. He wanted them to be Babylonians. Babylon was the great seducer. Babylon did everything they could to indoctrinate everyone to becoming like them, taking on their beliefs and taking on their customs. From this point on, Babylon throughout Scripture becomes a symbol of worldly proselytizing. If you were these men, what would have you done? Think about that. I mean, be honest. If you were these men, what would have you have done? Nebuchadnezzar is taking you in. He's giving you all these things. He's like giving you the best. He's mentoring you. He's, he's, um, he's investing in you. And you're given all these positions of power and influence in the greatest nation on earth at that time. Be honest. What would have you done if you were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah? It seems like there's only two, two options here, right? Here's the first option, is to rebel or revolt. Kick and scream, do everything you can to get away, like my daughter does when she needs a diaper change or something. Just do what you can to get away, right? Create, create issues. Go against the governing powers that have victimized you and put you in this place. Here's option number two. You can just receive or absorb you rationalize that there is nothing that you can do to change your circumstances. So you know what? You might as well just kind of go with the flow and just do what's expected of you, right? And it seems like those are only, the only two options that we have, but these four guys choose a third path. 
It's the path of reverence or faithfulness. And what I mean by this is that they, they know that God is in charge. And so they trust that, that if they are here in this moment in Babylon, then, then God has allowed it to happen. They don't rebel against Babylon. In fact, if you read, they actually greatly bless Babylon. But they don't receive their Babylonian identities. They, very, they, they draw some very distinct lines. They maybe have their names, but they don't accept their identities. Anything that they believe goes against the nature of God Yahweh, they respectfully reject. So now we're in chapter 3, and we've, we've gone all the way through the three years of training, and they know they now have these new names, they have these new identities that Nebuchadnezzar believes they have, they have taken on. According to Nebuchadnezzar, everybody has done what they, they're fully indoctrinated into the system by this point. Anybody who has rebelled has been taken care of. Everything seems to be moving smoothly as this whole plan of indoctrination. So it seems here that Nebuchadnezzar maybe wants to confirm this fact with a strong show of solidarity and commitment to the God that is Babylon. It seems in many ways like a confirmation ceremony of sorts. So Nebuchadnezzar makes this huge statue, 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide. It is not stated here, but the statue very likely was built to glorify what is now, what is now in this point in history for Babylon was their greatest god called Nabu, which is where Nebuchadnezzar derives his name from. It's a, it's a testimony to the god Nabu. And so this Babylonian god... Is, is, is erected, and, and he tells everybody that they have to worship this God, thereby worshiping Babylon itself. So this is a, a really big deal in Babylon, and Nebi here expects everyone to act the part and give full worship to their prime God, thereby giving glory to Babylon itself. Let's pick it up here in chapter 3, verse 1. King, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue, 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the, in the province of Babylon. Then he sent messages to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. So all of these officials came and stood before the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald shouted, people of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound, I'll just say musical instruments and save us all time. <laughs> Bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Okay, let's stop here for a moment. Now, after all of this indoctrination that has happened over the past three years, and they were supposed to be coming like a Babylon. Nebi here, I'm saying Nebi, but Nebi here may, wants to take a final step. He is using immense group pressure or group think or whatever you want to call it to make everyone bow down to the God of Babylon. See, rarely do we ever fall away from God in one day, do we? It usually doesn't happen in one day. Most people will fall away from God in incremental steps at a time. We, we rationalize here. We, we compromise there. And then we neglect things periodically. And then we neglect things regularly. And then before you know it, it, 
you don't even recognize really what you, you look like. You're a totally different person. And now you're being asked to give up God. And you know what? It doesn't really seem like as big of a step as it used to. If that wasn't enough, now there's the additional final push that Nebuchadnezzar gives them and puts a bunch of fear into the mix. If everyone didn't follow the crowd or do what the leader said and, and the crowds wanted you to do, then you would be killed. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego hadn't made those incremental steps. They hadn't compromised their faith. They had drawn firm lines. So let's see what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's response was. Let's pick it up in verse 7. So at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, bowed to the ground and worshipped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed him on the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, long live the king. You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue when they hear the sound of the horn, well, the musical instruments. That decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse your God to serve your gods, and they do not worship the gold statue that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then catch what he says here. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? So now Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are face-to-face -face before the most powerful man in their world at that time. Nebuchadnezzar, um, I mean, he knows that you aren't assimilating into this belief system like he had planned. Nebuchadnezzar had given them powers, powerful positions, great luxuries, more food and drink than they could ever want. He had, he's given them a life of protection and comfort. But it all came at what seemed like a small cost to Nebuchadnezzar, that they change who they are and, and who they worshipped. But none of these seductive things had changed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And here they experience one of the world's important lessons. If the world can't seduce you or intimidate you, they will hate you. If the world can't seduce you or intimidate you, it will hate you. Nebuchadnezzar gives the three men one last chance to give in and, and follow along. He reminds them of the penalty of this. You know, by, we have this furnace back out back here. We, we can throw you in that. And then he takes one last measure. He openly questions their God. And in some ways, it's maybe not meant as a mockery. I mean, he's saying there's no God who is able to save you. I mean, he seems to be including the Babylonian gods as well. Of course, he exalts himself. He's talking about his power is greater than any god. But what Nebi here is doing is he is making every effort to rationalize with them that, that God is, their God is not real, or at least he's not powerful enough to do anything. And if he has no power, why would you give your life for him? Let me be honest with you. I agree with this thought. Let, let me play a little if game with you. 
If you didn't believe God cared about you personally, would that change your faith? If you didn't believe that God was present and active in our world right now, would that, would that change your faith? If you didn't believe God was a loving God, would that change your faith? If you didn't believe God was powerful enough to save you, would that change your faith? Now let me ask you, if you did believe God cared about you personally, and that God is present and active in our world right now, and that he is a loving God, and that he is powerful enough to save you, would that change your faith? You see, these if questions cut both ways. True faith has feet, feet that stand firm against fear. What is it that lets us stand strong under fire? It's God's promises. Promises from a trustworthy God who can back up those promises can hold us, each one of us, strong under fire. You see, our conviction of who God is is the only thing that can uphold us in that moment. Not what you imagine, not what you hope, but only what you know to be true. If you are working to answer these questions in your life, I continue to do that. If you aren't, then you might want to choose a, you might, you would maybe want to choose a path of least resistance in this, in this case. When you're, when your faith is under fire, it's so easy to give in to the pressure, isn't it? It's so easy. I don't know if I'm unique in this, but uh, when I was young, I grew up um, knowing that I was going to face pressures in my life that I, that I had never faced before. You know, you don't face some of the pressures when you're younger as a kid, but as you get older in middle school and high school, maybe this is why I'm a student pastor, is because I know the challenges that, that students face. It burdens my heart, but, but I knew that I was going to be facing stuff that I had never faced before, things like sexual pressure, character pressures, pressures and other things that I knew were opposed to the, the person I wanted to become and opposed to the faith that I wanted to develop. And I knew that if I wasn't prepared I would probably do something that I would regret. I would start down a path that would deeply scar me or, or at work, maybe even outright destroy my faith. So what did I do? I practiced. It maybe sounds weird, but I imagined different scenarios that maybe would come up. And I would begin to role play in practicing what I would say in response in those moments. And you know what? It actually helped a lot. Because when those moments and those pressures came, it wasn't the first time in my mind that I had faced those pressures, and I was more prepared. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are facing the biggest pressure of their lives, and the, and the stakes couldn't be higher. But let me ask you, do you think that this was the first time that they had considered the ramifications of their faith, the ramifications of what they stood for? We know that this is not the first time. In chapters 1, these three men along with Daniel had chosen the hard path over and over again. And they had, they had not only believed in God, but they knew and trusted God. Let's see here their response about what they, they have in this moment with their faith under fire. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, 
We want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. Man, I wish I had a faith like that. How awesome is this? Let's raise our hands in here. How many of you would be brave enough to make this statement to the king of the world at that time? (laughs) My guess is that many of you were a little bit nervous about the idea of doing that in here, right? That's hard. It's hard to stand out and to be different. But let me tell you what I absolutely love about their response. They trust God fully, completely. They trust his goodness. They trust his presence. They trust his power. But on top of that, they are also humble enough to acknowledge that they don't understand all of God's will. They understand that it is possible that God may actually be served more if he doesn't save them. There's always that possibility. They understand that there is a chance that they could die here. However, they also let Nebuchadnezzar know that even if God doesn't save them, that it doesn't change their response because it also doesn't change God's goodness, his presence, and his power. God is sovereign. Their convictions on who God is was so strong that even if if God didn't save them, it wouldn't change their conviction that God is good, present, and powerful. Their faith was, was upon the, based on the character of God and not what God did for them. If that wasn't bad enough, they responded to, to Nebuchadnezzar's questioning of the power of God by actually questioning the power of Nebuchadnezzar. They tell Nebuchadnezzar that God's power easily surpasses the power of your God's powers. There's a deep and profound power struggle that's happening right here in this moment. There's a power struggle in the hearts of all of us when we get into those, these moments of, of faith under, under fire. Here you have three levels of characters in this story. You've got Nebuchadnezzar who, who has all the worldly power, power over fear and death. He has the political and military powers to do anything that he wants. And he is very visible and the dangers are very tangible, right? And then you have God who is, has power over everything, but you can't see him with your eyes, which Satan uses to make it easy to question things. And then you've got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They have only one power, the power to choose, and that's it. They don't have the power to determine the outcome of their lives. They don't have the power of the consequences of their actions. They only have the power to choose who to follow, and they choose God. Matthew 10, 28 says, Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both body and soul and body in hell. Thousands of years later, a man named Jim Elliott wrote in his journal, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I tend to agree. We can't control what happens to us. But if we believe God is for us, then we have to trust that he will work through us. If we believe God loves us and has the ultimate power, then we are not fools to put our reputations, our careers, our families, our lives on the line when our faith is under fire. Fear leads to entrapment. Faith leads to freedom. 
Perfect love casts out all fear. So we see how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood under fire, but let me ask you, how do, how do we stand strong in the fire? How do we stand strong in the fire? Let's continue reading here in chapter 3. We'll pick it up with verse 19. Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So, so they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, Hey, hey didn't, we, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar said, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a god. You know that when the Bible makes mention that Nebuchadnezzar's face is being distorted with rage, you know he's angry, right? Have you ever seen someone that gets so angry that there's this vein in their head that just pops out? I'll probably get immediately ushered off of stage for saying this. But before I lived here in Kansas, I lived in Kentucky. <laughs> and uh, I was there during the John Wall, DeMarcus Cousins, Anthony Davis years. And no matter what you think of Kentucky basketball, they were pretty good during those years. I hope you notice that in the moment uh, that I moved here to Kansas, that Kansas is better now at basketball. I'm just saying, that's job security right there. I can't help it that God chooses to bless certain people in certain ways. So I might be valuable to keep around. Anyways, I went to one of the games of Kentucky and they were nick and nick with Florida. And I remember looking three rows ahead of me and there was this one guy there who his vein had to have been like, I don't know how many inches out of his forehead. He was so angry. He was beet red. And it was kind of funny. I mean, I, Aaron and I, we both went to the game and we were convinced. We, we were ready for him to just explode, his head just to blow up. And we stopped watching the game. We just started watching his vein. That's honestly what happened. When Aaron had one of our kids, she had to push so hard that capillaries broke in her face. I'm telling you that his face was worse than her face. This is how, how crazy it was. I imagine that this is the kind of rage and anger that Nebuchadnezzar must have had here in this moment. How dare somebody question him? How dare somebody do this? But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, this doesn't even phase them. So Nebuchadnezzar decides to make the, the fire seven times hotter than it was, and his strongest men tie them up and throw them into this blazing inferno of a furnace. I find it interesting that they say seven times here. I don't know, we're not sure if they could have actually made it seven times hotter, but seven is a biblical number, and it means completeness. So at the very least, this is the hottest that this furnace could have been. 
It says in this passage that when these men threw in Shadrach, Meshach, and, his friend, and Abednego together into the furnace, it was so hot that the men who threw them in died from a distance as a result of the heat. I'm going to be honest with you, really, just transparent for a minute. If I was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and I had their kind of faith, I worry that I would have some limits on it still. Like, I haven't been in that situation, but I would worry that I'd be something like, okay, God, I'm, I'm sure you're, you're not going to actually let me get thrown into the fire, right? You've got some sort of plan. Like, as, as these men are leading me there, they're going to trip, and the, and the ropes just fall off, right? That's a, good, that's a good plan, God. I love that plan. Or how about, how about this, that Nebuchadnezzar just changes his mind. Last minute, wait, never mind. I see the light, right? Or maybe there's, here, this would be, this would be really awesome. How about angels come down from heaven and start bringing bolts out of lightning and just like taking care of everybody? That would be a really good story, right, God? And yet for all we can see, there was silence from heaven. No movement, no answers. And as they get carried closer and closer to the fire, it would be hard, I would imagine, to not have your faith wane at least just a little bit. I want to take a moment to ask this very important question. Why would God allow this moment to happen? These men have obviously been very faithful to him. Why would God allow these men to go through this? And why does God continue to let people go through the fire today? Maybe it's not a literal fire, but there are people today who go through fires of persecution. Faithful people today who, who are let go from their jobs for doing the right thing. Faithful people today who are humiliated in social circles because they choose God over the world. Faithful people today who are told to just shut up and follow the crowd. Why would God allow faithful people to go through all of this? And if fires could only serve the purpose of destruction, maybe you could convince me to, to agree with you, but, but they don't. Yes, fires have the, the power to completely destroy a house within minutes. They have the power to destroy a forest or a, a, a field, a prairie, within short amount of time, short amounts of time. But under the attention of a skillful craftsman, fires can also become tools of purifying. They have the power to remove impurities that are so embedded that they cannot be removed in any other way. And once those impurities are removed, they, are, they become so much stronger in the process. Another thing fires do is it illuminates. Fires can, can, are, can be used to reveal things that previously were covered up by darkness. They can allow things to be seen more clearly. It may be easy to look at this story and, and say that God is not a good God because why would he allow these faithful men to be thrown into the fire? But, but I actually say this. I, I say that sometimes it is the greatest act of love that God can give to someone, trusting them enough to let them go through the fire so they can be forged against the enemy and also be used as a powerful weapon for his glorious purpose and so they can become a light so that others can see more clearly. But even though we can see the benefit of going through the fire, that still doesn't answer the question, how do we stand strong in the fire? And you can only stand strong in the fire 
when the fire inside of you is stronger than the fire around you. The only way to stand strong in the midst of the fire is to give God full residence inside of you. It is at this moment of the story of the fiery furnace that something amazing is revealed, and I'm sure you caught it. It's one of my favorite moments in all the passages of the beautiful book that we call the Bible. It's a math lesson for all of you math nerds out there. And here's the math lesson. If three faith-filled people go into the fire, how many are in the fire? Four. What? How can there be four? You see, if you trust in God alone, you are never alone. God is the God of the furnace. I could say that God meets us in the furnace, but the reality is that God invites us into the furnace with him. In the furnace, our faith is purified. In the, in the furnace, our faith is sanctified. In the furnace, our faith is forged and fortified. And we can stand up in the midst of the fire because of God's presence. We are protected in the fire because of God's presence. His presence is more powerful than the fire. God has never promised that faithful men and women are exempt from going through the fire. I wish that was the case, that we were exempt, but it's not true. The difference is that when faithful followers go through the fire, they don't burn because God is with them. God saves us in the fire, but he doesn't always save us from the fire. In addition, the fourth person obviously stood out as holy here or set apart from the rest. Given what we see throughout scripture, there's a good chance this means that he had a special glow about him. We don't know for sure, but there's a good chance of that. Let me ask you this. What would it take for someone to glow above the brightest furnace that mankind can make? Can you imagine the hottest and bright, brightest fire that you could make? And within the fire, something so distinctly brighter that it shone out amongst the fire. What would it take for that kind of glow? I can only imagine the white hot radiance that must have radiated from this fourth person in the fire. Who could this fourth person be that could outshine the fire? Scripture gives us a an incredibly narrow field who could fit this description. We don't know for sure. But I tend to believe that this is the only one, the only one who is so holy as this. There is one who continues over and over to meet us in the fire. There is one who continues to show that he is willing to leave the comforts of heaven to save us from the fire. His presence protects us from the destructive force of the fire. I tend to agree with a lot of theology in believing that this is the pre-incarnate Jesus walking around in the furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And his holiness is so much, so much hotter and brighter than the brightest furnace. Isaiah 43 says this, But now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the, the one who formed you, do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And then farther down it says this, Bring all who claim me as their God, for I have made them for my glory. 
It was I who created them. Bring out the people who have eyes but are blind, who have ears but are deaf. Gather the nations together. Assemble the peoples of the world. Which, which of their idols has ever foretold such things? Which can predict what will happen tomorrow? Where are the witnesses of such predictions? Who can verify that they spoke the truth? But you are my witnesses, O Israel, says the Lord. You are my servant. You have been chosen to know me, believe in me, and understand that I alone am God. There is no other God. There never has been, and there never will be. I, yes, I am the Lord, and there is no other Savior. First, I predicted your rescue. Then I saved you and proclaimed you to the world. No foreign God has ever done this. You are witnesses that I am the only God, says the Lord. From eternity to eternity, I am God. No one can snatch anyone out of my hand. No one can undo what I have done. So if we stand strong under the fire and in the fire, what happens after the fire? Let's read on here in verse 26. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their head was singed, not, and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his, his servants who trusted in him. They defied, they defied the king's commands and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make this decree. If any people, whether their race or nation or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb, and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. Glad to see that his uh, rage has changed here. There is no other God who can, rescue me like, re who can rescue like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions in the province of Babylon. In Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's case, they didn't even smell of smoke. Not a hair on their body was singed. Pretty cool, huh? God does not promise that you will have no effects on the other side of the fire. Every faith story in here is different. Many of us have gone through fires. For some of us, the, there, there's no, not even any effect of the fire, excuse me, effect of the fire on us. Not even a scent. And yet for others, the, the effects of the fire are all around us. And yet the story remains and must be lifted up regularly. God is the God of the furnace. He will not forget you and he will not forsake you. He will not let you burn. And because of the fire, we are more purified. We are more sanctified. We are more fortified for his service and for his glory. Amen. For Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, there was no physical effects of the fire, but there were effects. God used this moment to affect all of Babylon. What was the result of their faith under fire and their faith in the fire? Two things, power and promotion. The, revolt, the, the results of their faith in the fire was power and promotion. Let me use other words for that. Impact and influence. God used their integrity, their courage, and their faithfulness as a catalyst for impact and influence. See, there was internal impact in this moment. In this moment, faith, uh, faith overcoming these uh, three men's fears 
Do you think that after this moment that they feared the fires nearly as much as they maybe would have? Do you think they feared about being standing alone against the crowd? I don't think they did. They were fortified. You see, when we choose to face the fire and find ourselves still standing after the fire, we likewise find ourselves much less fearful in the future. Faith tested is faith fortified. And faith fortified is a dangerous thing to the enemy. When fear fails, the enemy loses all the power that he has. And when fear fails, faith flourishes. All the important stuff gets revealed and burned away. And what's left is what we find to be true and trustworthy. The fire provides great impact for our lives, but it also provides external influence. See, we disrupt the pattern of this world for positive change. If you influence the influencers, you have great possibility for change in the culture. Before being thrown into the fire, Nebuchadnezzar said, but if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? He was so mad that his face was disfigured with rage. But now afterwards, he is a totally different person. Even Nebuchadnezzar here has his eyes opened and realizes the immense power of Yahweh God. And he doesn't want to mess with that kind of power. The power of the greatest king on the earth at this moment paled in comparison to the king of the universe. Nebuchadnezzar uses his power for fear and destruction, but God uses his power for salvation. Later in life, Daniel, this other friend, faced a moment very much like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Under a totally different government and a totally different leader, he chose the same path as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And likewise, he faced similar circumstance or consequences of these actions, this time at the mouth of the lions. And before Daniel is thrown into the lion's den, King Darius says this, May your God, whom you serve, so faithfully rescue you. But after he comes out of the, the lion's den, here's what he says. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed, and his rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. A different king, the most powerful world in the world at that moment, came to this very same conclusion. God's power is so much more than any of this earth, and he wants to use that power to save you. Do you know one of the most powerful ways you can, that there is to control a prairie grass fire and protect valuable property? It's called a backfire. Backfire is when you intentionally burn an area ahead of the spread of the fire. It is a controlled burn. That way, when the fire gets to this location, all the fuel that the fire needs to burn has already been burned up. It creates a ring of protection around the areas that you want to protect. As I said before, God doesn't always save us from the fire, but he does save us in the fire. But the fire that God lets us go through are backfires. They are backfires because for those who are faithful, they backfire against the enemy. They backfire against his purpose and his plan and show the limits of his power. Instead, 
They show the immense power and the immense glory of our Father God to be shown even through the fire. Because even though we may go through this moment, we are never alone in the fire. There is always another one in the fire with us. 600 years later, God participated in another backfire. This is the ultimate backfire. Once again, what the enemy meant to use for destruction backfired and showed the immense power and the glory of our Lord. This time, Jesus was all alone. God understood that there was no way that we could withstand this fire. And so he chose to face this fire alone. He died upon a cross and three days later, he rose from the grave. He kind of left like Daniel did. He left the den of lions alive. All the fuel and, and power of the fire had been taken away. 1 Corinthians 15, 55 through 57 says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, God created a backfire for you. If you put your faith into Jesus, Jesus stands with each of us in the fire and takes the heat so we don't have to. The fire holds no more power over you. So if you want to become fireproof, don't resist the fire. Instead, follow God into the fire. God will purify you and God will forge you and make you dangerous against the enemy. God can use you as a backfire backfire against the enemy. And sometimes when you least expect it. And then 1 Corinthians 15, the last verse says this. So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Our creative arts team is going to sing one of my favorite songs. But I encourage you to listen closely to the words as you sing them. Maybe make this be a conversation between you and God as you contemplate what he is calling out of you right now.
Jesus is in the fire with you. You are not alone. And you know what? I also love it because not only that, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they weren't alone even in them of themselves. They had friends with them. And you have friends here with you as well. Don't go through the fire alone. In fact, I'd love to pray with you. If you're going through the fire right now, I would love to pray with you. I'd love to talk with you. I'd love to do anything I can to help out. So if you, if you need some prayer, please come and find me. I'd love to do that. If you need to make a decision in your life, I encourage you to do that. Don't wait. You need to take steps right now to fortify your faith, to, to get yourself into the position you are because challenges will happen. We can't be passive about our faith, so be intentional about it. And if, there's, if you need any help in that, I and the rest of the staff and the elders here, we, this is kind of what we're here for. We love that. And we love you. Let me pray and then you guys can be dismissed. Dear Father, thank you so much for this story in the Bible. And I thank you that it is not just some fairy tale. This is truth. You were there with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and your power is more than any kingdom of this earth. Thank you that we have your promises that we can fully trust in, that we can found and base our lives upon. Lord, help us to have the kind of faith that's willing to go in the fire with you. Because after that, Lord, look out. We can be dangerous for the enemy because we know that the fire holds no power over us. Thanks be to God. In Jesus' name.